are going to start right there in 1 John. You guessed it. <laughs> we just wrapped up our third study, uh, verse by verse, through the book of Galatians. So far, we've done 1 Corinthians, we've done Hebrews, and now we're going to do uh, 1 John. And I think it's important to recognize um, how easy it is to get wrapped up in confusing things. Okay, 1 John is a difficult book. It's a difficult book to understand because there, are, there, are, there were teachings that were happening in that day that are no longer prevalent today. And if they are around today, they're not the leading teaching. There's really two main teachings, and they all uh, follow around Gnosticism. And in 1 Corinthians, we looked at that briefly, as that was a part of Paul's address. But what John is trying to set up here, as I believe that John is the author, this is written probably around AD 90. I believe he was in Ephesus when he wrote it. Um, that's probably where he was ministering the most. But it is written to believers really to understand what true fellowship is. Okay, this is not a test of salvation. We have to understand that because if this book becomes a test of salvation, then there's no, there's no certainty at all. Because there's some very hard verses in chapter 2. Um, verses that, as I was preparing for this series, I have to be reminded of constantly that these verses have nothing to do with salvation, but they have everything to do with people who look like a believer they talk like a believer, but the fruit that they bear in regards to what they teach is uh, leads to eternal life is not the gospel. And it's hard to get that from individuals. It's hard for people to really tell you exactly what they believe. Sometimes I feel like when I'm leading somebody to Christ or I'm sharing the gospel with someone, it's like I have to pull teeth to kind of get, like, what do you believe? Like, I'm not trying to cause an inflammatory argument or anything like that. I'm just trying to figure out what exactly do you believe? Uh, and, and most of the times, people can't nail that down. Um, a Christian should be able to share the gospel and know what saves them. Now, there are people who have come out of Christianity, and you know they're, they're saved, they put their faith in Jesus Christ, but they get into bad teaching. And that was uh, one of the three groups that was kind of going around in John's circle. There was like group A, so to speak, and in group A, you're You've got real, uh, you've got believers, they're saved, they understand the gospel, and they follow John's teachings. And of course, John's teachings directly from Jesus Christ. Then you have a group that they've kind of been influenced by pagan behavior. They're believers, but they practice their faith with uh, pagan undertones. Think of the church in Corinth, for example, how they were treating the Lord's Supper. They were using that as an opportunity to perform uh, gluttony, to get drunk, and it was more about the fellowship of one another and the satisfying of one's own flesh. They were missing the point. They're saved, but they're not effective. Then there were the groups that came over from Hellenistic practices, from, from pagan practices, and were adopted into Christianity. They got saved, but they totally just added Jesus as a part of different things that they did. Then there's the group which were just totally against what John was teaching. And they grafted themselves in, they, they appeared like the people who were there, but then as they left, when you see in 1 John 2, when they left, you can tell they were never believers because they don't understand what saved them. They have no idea what they're basing their eternal life off of and the things that they teach, the fruit that they bear. Not their works necessarily, but the things that they say of Jesus. 
didn't match up with what the Scripture teaches. And you've got to understand this when you're looking in 1 John. We're not talking about verifying somebody's salvation, okay? I don't think it's any Christian's job to go around with a magnifying glass and look at people's works to see if they're saved or not. If you want to understand where a person is going when they die, you ask them what they believe is getting them to heaven. What do they believe has paid for their sin payment? And that's where you're going to get more information. So if we were to wrap the, the, the entire epistle into a theme verse, it's verse 4 and it's verse 13 in chapter 5. Let's look at verse 4 briefly, and then we'll look at chapter 5 and verse 13. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4 says this, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Okay, these things write we. Okay, this is probably editorial. This is John speaking on behalf of those who walked with Jesus Christ, those apostles who saw and participated in intimate fellowship with him. It is a close-knit group. And that's what's really so sad about what happened when Jesus died on the cross, how you can see that the, that the apostles believed that he was the Messiah, yet they didn't fully understand his atoning sacrifice that was going to be made. I mean, Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. And within a matter of the time that he was in the grave, they all walked back into their old way of doing life. If we were to look at that alone, we might come to the conclusion that, oh, well, if people do the same thing, then they were never really saved. No, they just didn't understand. And so the we here is coming from John, who's speaking on behalf of the Lord under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and then to you, I believe, this is to true believers, people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, period. We're not talking about those who may believe that that's a part of the gospel, but then they have to add their works to it to be saved. This is talking to the body of Christ. So that, what's the common result here? Our joy that we have in Jesus Christ may be to the fullest, and that's the title of the first opening series in this verse-by-verse study. We're talking about a better fellowship, okay? I think we can really cheat ourselves if we just focus on our salvation and then we have nothing to do with discipleship. I want you to take your Bibles just for a moment before we look at uh, 1 John 5.13. I want you to look in Philippians chapter 3. Um, Philippians chapter 3, Paul is the writer, um, and he's talking specifically uh, about his own testimony, uh, what he was born into, what he came out of. But that's not my focus here. My, my, my focus is in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, "...and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith." that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul already knows what he has coming for him in the fact of his eternal life, a home in heaven. He knows what he's been told about Jesus Christ. 
He understands the difference between a works-based salvation, which is what was being taught in the Jewish religion, uh, a method of self-righteousness, and he knows the true deliverance that is found in Jesus Christ. But it's very interesting to see here that he was not just trying to seek that end result of the resurrection of the dead, but he wanted to enjoy the fellowship that he had here, specifically as it says there in the middle of verse 10, and the fellowship of his sufferings. For any of you who have been through um, relationships, and I'm not talking about like a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, I'm talking about a friendship, you can understand there's a point in the friendship where it's tested. You know what I'm talking about? Where maybe something happens, there's a disagreement or something happens, and the friendship gets tested, there's strain put on the relationship. And sadly, many relationships that are just kind of you know, they're not built well. It's just because two people like the same thing, but they don't really have an interest in each other. Uh, when it gets to that testing point, it, it breaks and the fellowship stops. A very deep and an intimate, not in a lustful way, but a close relationship moves past that strain and becomes stronger. It's like a cord for a rope being tied tighter and tighter and tighter. It's harder to break it because the two have been through more. Okay, there's a good illustration there to our walk with the Lord. See, Jesus Christ has been tested in every way, and he's been proven faithful. You and I are being tested right now. And we have really two options. We can buckle and fold and just succumb to the pressures of the world and the pressures of this life, or we can turn fully towards him and lean into him to experience the joy that is there with our salvation. See, your salvation is not just deliverance. Of course, that's a part of it. But now you have a new nature in which you can walk in. And there are going to be things that other people bring on you, circumstances that make it difficult. And then there's going to be Jesus Christ, who's always there, who you can lean on. And he's asking you to lean on him. And the more that you suffer for your faith, the more there's an opportunity to lean further into him. That will make you guys thicker. That will make the relationship between you and the Lord stronger. There are many relationships in my life that I try to maintain. As the years have gone on, I've found that the sweetest relationship in my life is the one with Jesus. And my, my generation is very keen on social uh, connections. And everybody is really excited in my generation to tell you what just happened, you know, uh, whether it's through Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is. Everybody is sharing, but nobody's connecting, okay? As a matter of fact, the only people that are connecting are the people harvesting your data, all right? Because they know everything about you, where you post and all sorts of stuff like that. Another conversation for another day. But my point here is we are millennials, my generation, are so aware of our surroundings, but we don't know how to connect with anybody. As a matter of fact, we think connecting with people is just speaking about ourselves and telling people what we've been through. Boy, that, that is not connecting. Connecting is listening. It's being patient. It's going through uh, trials together. One of the things that I learned as a youth director for those 10 years was how to listen. Because if you're not careful, you're going to look at those kids and say, be quiet, you don't know enough, I know everything, listen to me. But you know what? They want to be heard. 
And it was so important as our staff, when those kids came in, that we were present to listen to them. That we weren't just a vending machine with a pre-recorded answer for this or this or this. But that we listened to what they said, gave them the scripture that they needed, and then we showed up when there was an opportunity. I loved trying to go to these kids' games trying to see what was interesting in their lives. I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted them to see that this is not just, I'm not only your friend because you, or I'm not only interested in you because you come to my youth group. I want to show that because the Lord is ever present with us. And so I think as we disciple other people, so should we be present in people's lives. And that requires sacrifice. Those sacred nights where it's just, oh, I'm just going to do stuff for me. You got to give that up. Start investing into other people. And you're going to see a lot more fulfillment and joy. Serving is very important. But the point that I'm making here in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 is that there's a fellowship that can come as we suffer. And John says that our joy may be full, and his entire epistle is about rightly dividing fellowship and error. Look what it, um, you, you can let Philippians go and go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. Some of my favorite verses here um, in Romans chapter 12 because it really gives a roadmap to how we're supposed to behave in our Christian life, how we're supposed to view the world. Uh, Romans chapter 12, look there in verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, there's uh, some really funky stuff going out there uh, on the YouTube channels and the Facebook stuff about this verse. Uh, people really don't like it uh, because this verse tells you very plainly that you are supposed to grow past your salvation, period. Okay? Uh, it's not just, I'm saved now, so I get to do whatever I want. And no one gets. It's funny, those people who say they get to do whatever they want, they never sin. They never have any problems. But yet you tell them to not forsake the fellowship, and they tell you that's out of context, and you can't tell me what to do. Sounds like someone has a problem with authority. Sounds like someone has a problem with being told what to do and then being obedient to do it. But there's some very clear instructions here. First of all, it's a personal plea, I beseech you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So the picture that's being drawn here is quite graphic, that we are to sacrifice the, the, the bodies that we have now in service to the Lord. And guess what? Wake up! It's reasonable. This is not some unreasonable thing. And I think the time that we're living in right now, it's very reasonable to live a disciplined life, to live a life as, an, uh, as a sacrifice for the Lord. We're not being persecuted in ways that people have been persecuted in ages past. Yet it's the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do. And as it says here, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As you draw closer to the Lord, you're going to have your, you're going to have your mind renewed. We talked about this at Simple Steps on this past Friday night, we were on simple step number 10, uh, which is to say, uh, obey what the Lord has for us. And that's how we can overcome our addictions. Well, I looked in Proverbs chapter 16 in verse 3 where it says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. 
And in the Schofield Bible, there's a little note there that gives you the literal translation for the word commit, and it means to roll. And it's interesting because you can't roll just one thing. You've got to roll it into another. So it's not just, I woke up today and I read my five minutes in my YouVersion Bible. There's my pen for today, and I am now given the license to go do whatever I want with the rest of my day because I read my Bible. You're, we're missing it. Rolling one action into the other is the idea of continual submission. Yeah, you read your Bible, that's good. Now you've got to control what kind of music you're going to be listening to on the way in, what kind of programming you're going to be listening to, who you're going to be surrounding yourself with. And it's not for the point of isolation, but it's so that you can grow. And as you do that, it's an if-then equation. You commit your works to the Lord, then guess what? You're going to have a different change, or you're going to have a change of the things that you desire. I, I'm telling you, there, I, I remember experiencing this in college. As I continued to study my Bible, I found in my free time, it's something I wanted to do. It was no longer, I got a homework assignment. It was, man, I want to pick up where we left off on that study. There have been many times as Dr. Arnold was going through a verse-by-verse -verse reference on on Sunday evenings, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but it happened, where as he would continue to preach, I would continue to read. It would be so exciting. One book to me that's just, it's very easy to read in one sitting is the book of Acts. Wow. All the things that happen, one situation after another, it's like you're reading a screenplay. It's like you're reading just history being retold, and to know all these things are true, and they're about Jesus Christ, it's exciting. It's a work to read my Bible. It's a work to pray. And as you continue to do those things, you're going to begin to acquire a taste for them. They're going to be something that will help you grow. But if you fill your time with things of the world, then those are the things that you're going to desire. This is, you know, people that struggle with alcohol. When they have a time to relax and everything, they drink. And then that drinking becomes required for relaxation. And then as they continue to go, guess what? They're just looking for the next time to drink. And it's just over and over and over. Well, they're rolling their actions into that drug, and then all of a sudden, that's what they desire. You have to be careful of that. We should be rolling our thoughts and intents towards what Jesus has told us, learning how to fellowship with other like-minded believers. I always laugh at the people who are Kind of, it's kind of hard to get along with them, and they say things like, well, that's just how I am. That's how you choose to be, dude. <laughs> like, that's what you chose. Can you imagine if I acted that way? You think I'd ever be able to be in any position of leadership here? Well, that ministry, they just don't like the way that I am. You're actually right. <laughs> that's the problem. You're not conforming. You're not allowing yourself to be renewed after the fruit of the Spirit which are given there in Galatians chapter 5. But I showed you these two passages here because I think it's important to understand there is work to be done after you've believed on Jesus Christ. This is how we can win others to Christ. All right, let's go back to 1 John here. And you know, it's just a thought that comes into my mind about how many people Dr. Lindstrom reached. That man worked. He worked tirelessly. He turned a youth ranch into a functioning church. I mean, running a question and answer ministry, I'm coming to find, is hard. Because people throw you some questions where it's like, why would you even have that question? 
you know, and, and you got to give an answer. You got to be ready to give an answer. And you know what that requires? A lot of study. A lot of study. All these different contradictions that appear to be in the scripture, but they're not. There's some that I've already studied and I know the answers to. There's others I'm being introduced for the first time. And you know what? A bad teacher just throws together something for the sake of time, but I want to teach truth. So sometimes I'm spending hours looking at different things. I love it, but it's also a lot of work. And I can't help but sometimes think while I'm going through that, man, I'm glad that Dr. Lindstrom didn't give up or say, you know what? I've answered these questions a thousand times. That's another part of a question and answer ministry. How many questions you get repeated over and over and over. And it's great because you can form a good response, make a good video about it, and then you can get them to people and it answers their questions. But I believe that Dr. Lindstrom had a good fellowship with the Lord. That was something that was important to him. And look how many of us that benefited. It affected me. I know for many of you it affected you. He's passed away for many, many years now, yet people are still being impacted by those little videos on YouTube. Can't tell you how many times people have sent me stuff about that. All right, let's look at verse by verse here. We're going to look at the first four verses and break it down. So the audience here, we're talking to Christians. I, I believe they're, they're Christians within Ephesus, but it's ap, it, it, it applies to uh, Christians everywhere. The theme verse, as we talked about, is 1 John 1, 4, and then 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And those two tie together pretty well. The purpose is to educate believers of the fullness of joy found in proper fellowship with Jesus and to educate believers of true fellowship in Jesus versus heretical assimilation of pagan doctrine. This is what Constantine did. Okay? It's actually interesting. If you study Greek mythology, boy, people, I know that people are going to think I hate the Catholic Church. I don't hate the people within the Catholic Church, but you know what? When you look at what they do, you see a lot of problems. It is really interesting if you look at the Greek gods and the Catholic saints. You just look at how similar those, those stories are. It's one of those things where you're like, wow, and then you're also like, wow, <laughs> that's pretty rough. But when Constantine declared the world to be Christian, the persecution stopped and the heresy crept right in. And when we look at Pergamos next week on our Revelation series, you're going to see a lot of those different things. But there is a difference between true fellowship and just merging your uh, pagan beliefs to what the Bible says. I think a lot of new age right now is right there, is right in that vein. Oh yeah, Jesus Christ, he's good. And all that. He's not going to get you to heaven, but yeah, sure, study about him, know him, all that kind of stuff. But guess what? You need this, you need that. I've talked to a lot of people who have come out of new age, and it's really scary to see the things that they heard about Jesus Christ were things that I would say about him. Yet they specifically are, are informed. Do not believe, he, he can't save you from your sins. I'm reminded of a girl who came to college. I think she's still in college, but she lives out in like Winter Haven or, or something like that, really far away. She started um, changing her diet. She was into veganism. And then that became seeing actually, actually seeing online a spiritual doctor to heal her body. Physically, she had to get right spiritually. And the next thing you know, she's buying crystals, She's saying chance. She's trying to open up her third eye. I mean, that's not a diet anymore. 
But they talked about Jesus, they talked about God, they talked about the Bible, but there was never any definite conclusion about them. It was just that they were these things that you could add to your collection. So I think a majority of what is in 1 John here is to rightly divide between what is true fellowship and what is assimilation to heresy. All right, let's look in verse 1 there. That which was from the beginning, and I, there, there are four things I want you to highlight or make note of here, these, these, these verbs that we're going to see. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. A lot of people want to say, that which is from the beginning. What is John speaking about here? Is he talking about what he referenced in the gospel of John? In the beginning was the word, and the word was uh, God, and the word was all that. Is it talking about that, or is it talking about in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? I think specifically this is the start, which we can find in 1 John 1.14, or uh, uh, John 1.14. Let's look at that real quick. John 1.14, this is where I think we're talking specifically about the beginning here. John 1.14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this is important to understand and highlight here. The word being made flesh is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This is important to understand. And as he dwelt among all of us here, as he was on the earth, he performed ministry, proving to be who he said he was. Now, one of the teachings, and I have a hard time pronouncing this, I think it's docetism, I think. I'll have that better next time. But one of the teachings that John is going to address here is the teaching that Jesus Christ was not even a human. He was merely a spiritual apparition and that he didn't even become the Christ, using the Christ as its proper title, until his change, now all of a sudden we're kind of asking ourselves, was he in the beginning? Was he Jesus from the start? Is this the word made flesh and dwelt among us, or is it something else? And the reason why I think this is important to understand is because we have proof right here in John 1.14 that the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us was Jesus Christ, period. It wasn't that he became Jesus over a period of time. It wasn't at his baptism that all of a sudden he was given the power to be the Christ. He was just a Hebrew boy who did everything correctly, and now he's been chosen by God to do it. You know, this is the dangerous stuff when we write off the virgin birth. There's prominent teachers today that will tell you, I'm not sure if he was born a virgin. You're not what? You're not sure? Folks, if he was born through reg uh, regular means, guess what? He was born into sin, and he couldn't have made a payment for our sin. He'd have to pay for himself. Danger, danger, danger. All right, now look back to, the, to, to 1 John. You can let John go and go to 1 John. I asked you to look at those, those four words here. The reason why he's talking about what we've heard and seen with our eyes, looked upon and our hands have handled, is because it addresses those attacks that Jesus was just a spirit. He wasn't really a person. He was just an apparition. They saw him they, they, uh, they heard him, they'd seen him, they looked upon him, they handled him. This is important to understand. And it's one of the first things that John mentions. And then in verse 2, 
there are four more other things that he says. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life. When you see life in the book of 1 John, I believe it is equal to this eternal life. This is the epistle of eternal life. And that's why 1 John 5.13 is one of the key verses I would contest. This is important to understand. They were, not only did they see him, but they know that that life, which is mentioned there in the beginning of verse 2, it was manifested in Jesus Christ. They saw it and they are bearing witness of it. This is also the progression of fellowship. When you believe on Jesus Christ for eternal life, as you grow, he is the essence of your continual fellowship. Not, not what the, the new church teaches today, which is some type of experience or something that we feel. I was talking with a gentleman last week, and I asked him how he knew he was going to heaven, and he said, six years ago, Jesus walked into his apartment. Now, to me, that's not a clear statement of faith. I look at that and I say, we need to have a further conversation. And, and it's important to understand that. If I validate that, then anybody who says something like that can be saved. Boy, but people will look at, well, don't. that's his experience. Is it a good experience? You come to find out that that happened while he was high on drugs. Okay, now that is a problem. Because those things we know from the scripture lead to rebellion. As you grow with the Lord, it's going to come in a closer fellowship with him. Do you talk with him? When you pray, do you pray to Jesus? Do you ask the Lord to help you? Do you share about him? As you do these things, then you progress to the second stage, which is you're getting to the point where you know him, you understand him, and now you begin to talk about him. It's evident in the things that you say. And as you continue to grow, it hinges on Jesus Christ, the real person, not the idea, which is what Buddhism says about Jesus. He possessed the idea of eternal life. No, the scripture says he is the way, the truth, and the life, period. There's a difference. You have to, we have to understand these things. Look at the end of verse 2. And show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye, now this is where everything changes. He goes about all the things that they have seen as a proof text for his statements here. But then he also says here, we're declaring it unto you. Now that's where I have made the distinction there in verse 4 as well. We're talking about believers. We're talking about believers. That I declare unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, look up here. You've got the believer You've got what John is teaching, the errors that he's trying to correct, that Jesus didn't come in the flesh or that he was merely an apparition, whatever it is. He's taken these two types of fellowship and he separated them. Number one, the understanding of truth and the teaching of truth brings fellowship with other believers. Okay? 
There are many people who may come across my path of life, but I'm not going to have fellowship with every single one of them because there are people who know the truth and there are people who do not know the truth. And the people who know the truth, there's a natural born fellowship there. I should be ready to do whatever is necessary to help that person as they choose to do right. The person who is not a believer is someone that I may have fellowship with, but not in a spiritual sense. A perfect illustration is this, is when my wife and I went down to this civic meeting, which, boy, that was fun. I've never been to an HOA civic meeting like that, but there was some stuff in there. I understand why people get their cell phones out and record, because some of the things you hear people say, it's just, it's comical. Next time we're going to bring popcorn. But I remember I, we were at this meeting, and I talked to a couple of people that were representatives for Hillsborough County, specifically people that were working on some issues within town and country. I grew up in, in town and country. I know about all the, the issues that are happening right now. They're, they're, they've got major problems with homelessness, and they have major problems with uh, drug addiction. It's, it's sad. Some of these people are owning businesses. They're saying people are in their dumpsters. Uh, they're, they're leaving needles in the parking lot, and people are upset. Uh, rightfully so. The public library down here is, at night, just completely overrun with people that are without a home, but they're also addicted to drugs. Many of them are. And we went to that meeting because we have the answer, not just in the Simple Steps program, but we want to help people. Okay, well, I talked to a couple of these individuals, and I gave them my information, and we had email correspondence, whatever it is. But that's going to be about the maximum of our fellowship, just naturally. They don't have an interest in me, and the interest that I have in them is for a spiritual concern. And if they want to reject that, then guess what, guys? We, we move on. Things just continue to go in their direction. For believers, we should be constantly working on our fellowship with one another because that fellowship is reflective of our walk with the Lord. As we get closer to the Lord, we should also be happy to get around other people who are doing the same thing. And that's one of the sad things that's happening with a lot of ministries today. They're becoming very exclusive. Oh, boy, you got to really, really like our pastor in order to fellowship with us. It's a cult of personality. It drives me nuts to see ministries like that, where they talk about the pastor as if he's Jesus Christ. And this stuff happens. And one of the great things about the, the two pastors that have been here, by the way, this church has been here for over 50 years. It's only had, it's in its third pastor. That's rare. Very rare. But one of the unique things about Dr. Lindstrom and Dr. Arnold is it's not a cult of personality. People may have made them that way, but that's not how they act towards others. They want to have fellowship. I think it's great that Yankee, when he goes on the road, he'll go anywhere and talk to anybody. They're like, well, you got to book my time. What? Well, you know, that, that's, that's going to cost you different speaking engagements. I'm not going to say who, but I found out one time how much some of these preachers cost to go to these places, and it's a crying shame. Tens of thousands of dollars. For one message. It's a business. Somebody calls me and say, hey, pastor, we got an opportunity for you to speak in Washington. Can you get here? I'm going to find a way. I'm not going to charge them anything. If there's a way for me to get out there and, and help a church get started or for whatever it is, I'm going to go. Can you imagine if I said to them, 
Yeah. Do you have a PayPal? Venmo, something like that. I believe if people are biblical, they will, you know, we should take a love offering for those pastors and teachers. The Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians. Those that teach of the gospel should also live of the gospel. I'm getting off course there. But as we get closer to the understanding of what John is talking about here, there's that first fellowship between believers, but then look at the end of verse 3, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The reflective here is as we grow fellowship with one another, our fellowship should also be getting closer to Jesus. And this is the second point that I want to make before we wrap things up here. Listen to me very closely. Be careful that you are not fellowshipping with people just to become closer to the people. The fellowship should be around the Lord. Okay? This game night that we're going to have, the gospel is going to be given. We're going to encourage you to bring out family members and friends and all sorts of stuff like that. It's an opportunity to fellowship with one another, but we also are going to talk about the Lord. And it's important to understand those two things are not separate. There should be no distinction between, well, this is my circle of believer friends and this is my you know, private time with the Lord. We grow together as we serve the Lord. That's what makes a strong church. That's what makes a dangerous church, dangerous in the eyes of the world and what Satan's trying to do. People who are united together for one common cause, that's powerful. That's fullness of joy. That's fullness of fellowship. This is why I don't think that there's a Lone Ranger Christian out there. Well, I don't go to church. It's not for me. Check it, brother. Something's not right with that attitude. Because that's not how it's supposed to be. That is a prevalent idea with the YouTube community. Oh, well, I, I go to church um, with my YouTube channels. I remember I was talking with Dr. Kakuza, and there was a gentleman who was on YouTube. He's gaining a lot of followers. He was influencing a lot of people. He's super clear on the gospel. And then Dr. Kakuza talked to him and said, you know, um, I know you're from this area, and I'm not going to say where he's from, but I know you're from this area, and I actually found a church that's really clear on the gospel, and I've let them know about you, and, and they're more than happy to welcome you in, and you can go to church there and fellowship with them. The music is not the best, but it's a clear gospel presentation, and they give it. The response to that owner of that YouTube channel was, oh, no, I don't go to church. No, church is not for me. I've been called above that. Check it. Something's not right. That's a problem. That is where a lot of people are today. It's why church attendance is down everywhere. Because this is an option. This is something you do when you can. You know, and, and I love the fact that we have people online, and I, I get that, and this is not directed towards those individuals, but sometimes that can be dangerous. You use that as a replacement. Well, I'm just going to catch up on my... Uh, P.O.D., my pod, preaching on demand, you know? And, yeah, I understand that. And like I said, there's circumstances for everything. And there's many people. I just got four emails this week for uh, churches in Arizona, for one in uh, around the, Phil the Philadelphia area. And it's hard because I'm like, man, I don't, I don't have a lot of recommendations. But I can tell you this. If you're able to go to a clear church and you don't, that's a problem. I think that's a problem. 
Because the fellowship here that's talking about, John is saying, we want to have fellowship with you guys. But if you're bringing in pagan practices, or you don't even believe that Jesus is the key to eternal life, we can't have fellowship with you. And for those of us we do have fellowship with, it's not just with us, it's also with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. That's what it says at the end of verse 3. And with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. To wrap up here, I'm just going to make this last point. You see a lot today in a lot of different churches, a lot of Holy Spirit worship, right? I mean, there's songs like that are inviting the Holy Spirit to come in, and there are songs that go on for seven, eight, nine minutes. I, I would encourage you, because I'm looking out here and I think that all of you are quite disciplined. Go on YouTube and look up Carrie Job, Carrie Job, Spontaneous Worship. Mark and avoid anything that she does. And guess what? This is modern-day Christianity. This is stuff that's accepted. Spontaneous worship is where you call the Holy Spirit, call the Holy Spirit, call the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden you're listing a whole bunch of words in tongues. It's scary to see what this woman does on the podium. She rides around, and, does, and everyone's like, Woo, yeah, she's getting slain in the Spirit. Boy, if I was there with my family, let's go. Get on out. This is what's being called as normal today. The Holy Spirit is being worshipped way out of context. I mean, people will say things like, I was going grocery shopping and, and I was in this experience and I just, I, I just felt the Holy Spirit come over me and I started prophesying this good news to the cashier and it's something silly like your mortgage is going to be provided this week. And it's like, what, what really, what is the purpose of that? What do we know the Holy Spirit does? He speaks about Jesus Christ, guides us into all truth about him. Okay, paying the mortgage is good, but if you were really prophesying a word from the Holy Spirit, you'd give them the gospel. Period. Or maybe you'd have a conversation with them that ended with the gospel. Period. But people are just getting full of themselves, full of themselves. And it's important to understand here, the fellowship is with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit aids us in that fellowship, and Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There's the Trinity right there. Not one of these is left out. I hear more in modern churches and music today about the Holy Spirit than I ever do about Jesus. And I hear a lot about, I'm worthy, Lord, I'm worthy. Yeah. Okay, you're worthy of something. You might not like what it is. Jesus paid our price, of course, for that. But first, John, you can close your Bibles. First, John, I really want to encourage you to be tuned in to this series because especially when we get into the next week, you're going to understand the proper context of 1 John 1, 9 and how it is exactly what it says it is. But there's also a lot before that that talks about you say one thing, but you do another. And, and you, fellowship requires work, period. It's not something that will come naturally. It's something that you work at. It's discipline. It's a life of discipleship. And it can grow and get very sweet. But if you're trying to trick everybody else and think that somehow you're going to escape um, a lack of fellowship because you just appear to do something or you, you do the bare minimum, that's what you're going to get, the, the bare minimum. So understanding a better fellowship is what we talked about briefly tonight. But next week we'll start to talk about light and dark. What that means, 
and how it, uh, how it, it applies to the believer's walk with the Lord. Look up here if you don't mind. I want to share with you the best news in all the world. If this hand were to represent you and me and my wallet represents sin, I'm going to put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, what? For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. God, he loves us, hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, we have to be perfect just like God, but we all fall short. That's what the word sin means. It means to miss the mark. The wages of sin is not doing the best that you can. That doesn't pay for sin. It's not turning your life around. That doesn't pay for sin. It's death. Someone has to die for this sin. And Jesus Christ made that payment for us. This hand were to represent Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. And what he did 2,000 years ago on that cross is he became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the gospel message is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ's finished work, mainly his shed blood through his death, burial, and resurrection, then that sin payment is taken off. It's already been paid by Jesus Christ. And you receive the righteousness of God as an exchange. And it's a permanent exchange. It's actually a judiciary uh, set of instructions that follow. The person who believes is declared righteous the very moment they have peace with God, they have access through Jesus Christ. Not my words, that's in Romans 5, 1 and 2. We stand and rejoice in the finished work of Christ. So salvation's done. You want to experience eternal life? You put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now the next part, the fellowship, the discipleship, the growing, roll up your sleeves. Get ready to work. It'll be sacrifice. Don't be discouraged in that because you have Jesus who will walk right alongside you. But how silly it is for us to continually try and see if we're justified or not. Either God said it and he meant it or he lied. And he, he didn't lie. Titus 1-2 tells us that. He can't lie. So you're saved when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now grow into beautiful Christian maturity. Let's go do things for the Lord. Let's go reach more people. There's a lot of distractions out there. Don't get distracted. There's a lot of things that parade around this truth. Don't fall for them unless they check out by what the Word says. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed, please, and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If that made sense, if the gospel message made sense to you this evening, I pray that you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, finish work on the cross, that uh, what he did in shedding his blood and being buried and risen three days later uh, atoned for your sin, just as the scripture said that it did. The moment that you do, Jesus said in John 5, 24, you'll never come, in, uh, come into condemnation. You're passed from death unto life. You have eternal life right there in that moment and for all eternity. As we continue to go through this series, First John explained, I, I, I want you to pray before you come to services that you would have a clear mind, that you'd be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And please pray for me. Pray for me as I prepare, as I read and study. It's not my intent to be some fantastic teacher with all this wisdom and knowledge. I just want to present what the scripture has already presented clearly. But there's a lot competing for my attention. And I ask that you pray for me, for my wife, 
for all the leaders in ministry and for each other that we pray diligently for the body of Christ to continue into Christian maturity. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to study this series. May it bring truth and a better understanding of fellowship that our joy may be full. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.